MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs. Some of our very own staff members at DMVR are taking MSU Denver online classes this summer. If you're not living that college experience at other institutions due to COVID restrictions, then MSU Denver Online is an amazing opportunity you should take advantage of. Like I said, we have two of our very own at DMVR taking online courses right now, Ali Monroy and Harrison Wind, and you can reach out to them with any preliminary questions you may have. And if you need any more information about MSU Denver Online, you can go to their website at msudenver.com slash online. Uh, MSU Denver Online has over 40 online or hybrid programs. They'll get you a degree and over 700 courses um, that you can take from the ease and comfort of your own home. So go to msudenver.com slash online or reach out to Harrison Wind or Ali Monroy to learn more about MSU Denver Online. All right. Welcome in to the DNVR Draft Podcast presented by uh, our good friends over at DraftKings. Uh, I'm Henry Chisholm, and I'm joined today by Andre Simone and Jake Schwanitz. What's up, guys? What's up, dogs? What's How up? you doing? No, you know, my computer is still all wet, <laughs> and so I'm recording this from my phone. All the good golfers who I put a lot of money on I've decided that they're now bad golfers, and so it's not looking like that's going to pay for my computer. Uh, And, you know, it's the the, the Nuggets play tonight and the Western Conference Finals, though, and so that's where my mind's at, and we're going to ignore all the bad things. Uh, What a shame. What a shame. Poor Hank. Things just haven't haven't gone your way, but I think we're going to turn it all around with some college football talk, some draft talk, maybe even some positivity about these young Broncos. I I guess I should have known this, or maybe I knew it and then forgot it, but on the broadcast on Monday night, them talking about how the Broncos were the only team in NFL history to have drafted two top 50 tight end, uh, wide receivers, a top 50 tight end and quarterback, um, all in a two-year span or three-year span. I guess it's three top 50 wide receivers. That's the crazy stat. So I thought that was interesting. Love seeing the growth from Noah Fant. And I'd say in some ways we were not surprised too much from a few drops um, by Jerry Judy. I know that's something you and I talked about um, leading up to last draft process. And it's something that, Jake, you had in the scouting report you wrote up on Judy on our site. Yeah. um, Unfortunately, if there is one, major negative that Judy had coming out. It was the drops uh, Mm -hmm. specifically over the middle um, and some concentration drops, which we saw, especially the second one, Uh, that one could have actually put the game away for the Broncos, but uh, you know, we all know how that turned out by this point. So um, yeah, not a big surprise to be expected. Hopefully it gets cleaned up. We'll see. Yeah. It's kind of crazy watching Jerry because you know, after the first drop, I was like, how do you drop that? He's wide open. And then the second one, you see it again. And my theory right now is that he's just getting himself too open. Like other receivers just do not find themselves as open as Jerry Judy is. And in these situations where they're looking upfield because there's one safety who they have to beat to get to the end zone. Like he is just too open because he's able to focus on all these other things that are going to come next. I don't know. It's, I don't like seeing it, of course, but a lot of good receivers have had problems early, including Jerry Rice. And so I think, you know, it's a young receiver. We can take our time and be rational and not overreactive. Yeah, he he definitely was getting open better than, I mean, as advertised, getting open at the top of his routes and all that. 
in the scouting report, what concerned me more was that you would see drops over the middle in traffic. And that's more mm. just a lack of like Sutton, AJ Brown like traits. You know, that's that's what you get with those big oversized receivers, is they're crazy good in contested grab situations. He didn't have that. And it's why I rank CD Lamb just slightly ahead of him. But those on Monday night really were just kind of concentration drops. And I think some, some being in the spotlight and maybe just already envisioning his next move, which we saw when he did catch the ball, his uh, yak ability and those fluid hips that make him so dynamic as well. Unbelievable. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. The, the one, yeah. the one play where it was like a comeback route, like a, more like a hitch. He gets upfield and then is sprinting full speed and just comes to a complete stop. Just out of nowhere, like on one step, he totally stops, turns around, and catches the ball. It's it's incredible to watch. Like he almost stumbled because he stopped so hard, but he just gets crazy separation whenever he wants. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things I learned about watching Judy, um, especially when Christian Fulton was lined up across from him, I think we found out why Christian Fulton only covered rugs when Alabama and <laughs> LSU played uh, yep. last year because he could not hang with Judy. And it was apparent off the line. It was apparent downfield. So that was just uh, something that I picked up on. Yeah. Yeah, that was a fun rookie. Some rookie on rookie crime there. Um, yeah, so there's our there's our Broncos talk to kind of lead into things. Um, that was kind of it for rookies, wasn't it? Well, the secondary oh, was the asked secondary. to do a lot. That's right. um, yeah. OJ Mudia was outstanding, uh, slowed down as the game went on, and, you know, AJ Bouye was put out the game, uh, but still the his instincts and ball skills were on full display there, I thought. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the phys- he, he really, really looks the part. Mm-hmm. Like the yeah. he checks all the, the, the raw skill boxes, you know. He, he stepped on an NFL field and look like he belonged from the first snap, which is something to be said. And Asang Bassi, I thought, um, held his own. He did a nice job and held his own there in the slot. Yeah, they didn't look like rookies, which I thought was the biggest takeaway. And, you know, if we're already going to start off with this Bouye injury, um, we're going to need them to step up here real quick. So Yeah, for sure. For sure. But no, you're right. Outside of that, not really any rookie stuff. And I'm hoping, Hank, that we get to see a little Levante Bellamy this week. I almost just brought that up. I was thinking ahead, like, which rookies could we see? Like, is Albert O'Reilly? It's like Levante Bellamy. I, th- I think we will see him. I mean, they have to bring him up without Phil. You can't just go into an NFL game with two running backs, especially this young team for sure. And that means Levante Bellamy is going to be up. And I think that that means he's going to get touches too. Um, and I'm really excited to see him. He is just so explosive. Um, and he brings, you know, in terms of replacements for Philip Lindsay, I, I think that, you know, obviously if you're looking around the league, you'd much rather have like guys who are established, but the skill set that Levante Bellamy brings, I think can almost patch that gap um, pretty well. Yeah, the one thing he's missing is the thing that makes Phil so unique as a smaller back, and it's running up the middle. And, I mean, obviously Melvin can do that, but that's not necessarily Melvin's game, running it up the gut. And that's been a problem for Royce, too, is just hitting a hole and getting north and south. So now you do wonder if they're limited to just more outside runners. It'll be really interesting to see what they do against Pittsburgh. Yeah, I totally agree. Or it won't be easy to run the ball. Um, so, yeah. Any other any other rookie notes there? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Excited to see KJ this week. Dude, that's, about it. that's yeah. gonna be amazing to see KJ. It is. It, I do it, feel like. Oh, go ahead. No, it just. I mean, it already felt like, despite a million injuries, the offense was already showing some of the flashes of Definitely. how hard it's gonna be to line up with all these dudes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then when we get Sutton back too, it's just you oh, got another guy into the mix. Yep, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I do think it's worth shouting out Visca for what he did in Week One too. Yeah, um, you know you he was somebody who we spent a lot of time talking about on this podcast um, for a bunch of different reasons, but the Jaguars used him the way that he should be used. 
you know, lining them up in the backfield, lining them up in different positions in the backfield, in the slot, out wide, um, in cl- close to the formation, and had him do a whole bunch of different things, from carrying the ball to catching the ball to making some really key blocks. They were just able to put him in situations where he could contribute on essentially every play. And uh, it's just good to see, especially because I, I want the best for Visca, and I was – Honestly, pretty concerned when he went to the Jags. But they seem to have a plan for him. I think he's in good hands with Gardner Minshew, too. It's so interesting, too, that they're really embracing how he was used in college. And I wonder if this can start a trend now that, you know, the backs that are really valuable are the McCaffreys of the world, are the Alvin Kamaras, who aren't, I mean, they're not running backs the way we conceived him. 10, 15 years ago. Uh, they're really more like hybrid players. Um, so, and LaVisca is really that mold just in the reverse, you know? And I wonder, you know, if guys like Antonio Gibson and Visca, and this is just going to create a new prototype of athlete that we search for and use on offense. It's going to be really interesting. He's a great early test case for that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Um, okay, I think that pretty much sums up all the rookie stuff. Uh, let's jump into what we saw from – actually, you know what? Before we do that, we should talk about what's going on in the Big Ten, the Pac-12, um, and just kind of set the stage there. Mm-hmm. So uh, the SEC is set to come back, uh, what, next week? Yeah, I think next week will be their first week. Um, the Big Ten is just announcing yesterday that it is coming back, um, and that's going to be October 24th is the first weekend. Uh, the Pac-12 presidents are meeting today. Uh, rumors are there's going to be a vote. Everybody seems pretty positive that the result of the vote, vote will be uh, a football season for the Pac-12 as well. And uh, that – in theory, again, we don't really know for them yet, should probably start maybe like October 31st, November 7th. Um, Those are kind of the days that people are throwing around. Um, But yeah, uh, that's where we're at. So it does sound like we're going to get quite a bit of college football, even though though a a significant portion of it's at least a month out. Um, Crazy. It is crazy. And and one of the craziest parts is that so many of the student athletes who play on those teams in, in those conferences decided to opt out and start prepping mm-hmm. for the draft, start yeah. hiring an agent because, you know, it just kind of makes sense when you're in their shoes. If, if they're going to spend the next however many months getting ready for the draft, you want to get an agent in your ear telling you who to meet up with and that kind of stuff, but also start maybe spinning some stories because it's tough to get drafted when your team doesn't play. Um, some of those guys now trying to opt back in the NCAA has a rule that if you hire an agent, then you can't go back. There's a chance that that gets changed. It's kind of just chaos right now. It's complete chaos. And the big 10 is a great example of this. Sean Wade has just returned to Ohio state. He's a top 15 prospect for me. As far as Broncos targets, um, defensively, at least he's probably at the tippy top of the list because he's a perfect Fanjo hybrid. He can play nickel. He can play close to the line. He's solid in coverage, and you know he's a stud from Ohio State, which has become like DBU as of late. Um, yeah. So he's returned after just three days ago announcing that he was opting out of the season. I think, though, the timing for him has worked out better because now Rashad Bateman is dealing with a little more stuff. The wide receiver from Minnesota who declared, who opted out, what, like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Now he's talking about coming back, but I think they're having a little more issues. And you're right, Henry. Now what's going to happen with the Pac-12? And, like, the ACC's been playing already. We, we're going to preview a great game this weekend with Miami. They're missing their best prospect, a potential top five prospect in the upcoming draft. I wonder if someone like a stud edge like Gregory Russo would return to school now that he's seen all these other top guys. It's really a wacky situation right now. And it's like the, the rules and the perception just changes week by week. It's wild. Yeah, it's almost like we're kind of seeing the, I don't know, the NCAA like dissolve before our eyes. I mean, you've heard about all these kind of things that players want to change, that people want to change about the NCAA. 
Mm-hmm. And now they're just kind of being forced on them. Um, you know, with all these people kind of coming back to school, if they could allow some guys that, you know, maybe they don't get drafted as high as they or not get drafted, just not get drafted at all. Um, allow them to come back to school. I mean, that would be right. huge for them. So uh, it's really interesting to see that this COVID thing has kind of turned the NCAA on its head and has really kind of forced it to adapt on the fly. Yeah, and that's something the NBA has done recently, right, Henry? Uh, you, you had the star point guard for the Buffs explore NBA draft waters and then, you know, figured it out, was able to talk to agents, scouts, do his workouts, get more of a feel for it and realized it wasn't the time to go and was able to come back to school. Because it just makes sense. Like, why wouldn't you let these guys go see what they're worth, see what would happen if they go to the draft? Because, I mean, we don't need to get into the whole college athletics is exploitative thing, but it kind of is. And one of the ways where it's super obvious is in these circumstances where they put the student athletes in a situation where they say, you can either go over there and you don't know what's going to happen, or you can stay here with us and you know that you can keep playing football here and, and just not allowing them to have all of the information when they make that decision to go to the draft or to to return to school. That just makes it much more likely for them to stay. It's kind of like, not treating them like hostages, but maybe like blackmailed would be fair. But that's kind of, that's one of those things that might just change now that we've gone through this whole process and we've had to have these conversations. And at the very least, there's got to be an exception this year um, for all the players who did sign with agents. I I think either that or they're just out of luck and that'd be bad for college football. Right. I mean, if your conference announced they weren't going to have a fall season, which means you, a potential, you, you, an aspiring NFL prospect who was going to declare after this year anyways, and you know, the season won't be played until after the draft, then there's no point for you to play that season. You, you opt out and you go on your way. Now that that's being switched, I think it's only right to allow these kids to come back. And yeah, in Bateman's case, for example, he's re-enrolled in, in the university and now is hoping to be allowed eligibility. You covered an interesting case last summer with this, Henry, where, well, not last summer, last, I guess, fall, uh, spring rather, Katie Nixon declaring, but not signing with an agent, exploring the waters, realizing it wasn't meant to be, and then coming back that way. Yeah, and, and that's what we expected from that process. But, you know, it it does make you wonder. I don't think anything would be different. I think he would have returned to school if he could have signed with an agent um, to go through that process. But it it, it is just too bad that he didn't have that opportunity to have an agent by his side who, who knows how to reach out to all these teams and ask around about what the opinions are, all that kind of stuff. You're just taking it away from the student athletes, and it's crazy. I think another thing worth noting um, is that this year essentially just doesn't count for anybody's eligibility either. And so, Uh, you know, on a draft podcast, we're primarily talking about the guys at the very top who are getting ready and and wouldn't want one more year in college because they want to go to the NFL. But all these seniors will have a chance to go back and repeat their senior year next year if they think that that's what's best for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty big. I mean, especially when you're talking about just kids that young. I mean, I don't see why they shouldn't have the option to go back to school. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I was, if I had to make the biggest decision of my life at 21, 22 years old, I mean, I don't have full confidence I would have made the right decision. So um, it's kind of unfair, I think, to hold them to that rule that, you know, if you sign an agent, you have to go. I mean, why not let them kind of explore the waters? Um, I think it would only result in better football players overall. I don't really see a negative to it, honestly. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right on that. Ah, man. And I really wish like some of these top prospects for the ACC would come back because that'd make this week that much more interesting. You know, we're yeah. missing like the ACC's playing, but two of the like top six prospects in the in the conference aren't going to be on the field for, you know, Jalen Twyman, the star uh, defensive lineman for Pittsburgh and Gregory Russo and two guys that from a Broncos perspective, I'd be, I'd be really interested to check out, you know, just mm, mm, 
But anyways, we're, it's nice to have the Big Ten back. Maybe instead of previewing the week, that's where we should go next, is talking about the Big Ten, the guys who are most excited about seeing with uh, football returning. Um, and really what was, from a draft perspective, as loaded prospect-wise as any conference in the country. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think um, – sorry, Hank. I think that's where we start, though. I mean, Ohio State, just getting Ohio State back and watching those guys play, I think I is going to be huge. It's wild. Yeah, I wonder. So let's just start at the top. Um, obviously, you have Justin Fields, who's kind of been the assumed number two pick behind Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, all that stuff kind of does depend on what happens or which teams wind up with those top picks. But he is probably the biggest name um, in the Big Ten. What other guys do you think could uh, be top 10 guys or top 15 guys? Well, Andre already mentioned Sean Wade, so um, yep. I think that's pretty much the other guy. I mean, obviously, uh, Micah Parsons, who also hinted at possibly coming back to school um, mm-hmm. we'll, on Twitter. We'll see if that kind of comes through. Um, but really, I'm just looking at Ohio State, um, you know, with Sean Wade, Justin Fields, and then also Trey Sermon. Uh, we talked about him last week, the running back transfer yes. from Oklahoma. And then uh, Chris Olave, the wide receiver, mm-hmm. someone who played a lot even as a freshman. Oh, so yeah. just kind of watching him grow uh, is going to be fun and seeing if he's gotten even better. I mean, you already said it about the cornerbacks. I mean, Ohio State's just unbelievable. They're kind of like a cornerback, edge, wide receiver, uh, running back factory. It's insane that the talent they pump out at those positions. Um, some guy, Someone, though, that I'm – I don't think he's a first-rounder, but I'm very interested to see uh, how he does this year is Tanner Morgan quarterback out of Minnesota, mm-hmm. um, I, especially if Bateman's able to come back. Um, just because Morgan is someone over the past couple of years that really kind of impressed me. You know, I don't think he's a first-round prospect necessarily, mm-hmm. but he's an NFL quarterback, I believe. Um, and, you know, he had Tyler Johnson and obviously uh, Rashad Bateman there. He's had talent, but I just think he's been a pretty solid football player for them and one of the reasons why Minnesota's back on the rise. Yeah, yeah, one of the big reasons why, in fact. Uh, he's been just huge for them. And, you know, even Sean Clifford, the the quarterback for Penn State, who's got, I mean, in that Franklin offense, he's, uh, he's done some big things for him. And I thought kind of came along in his first year as a starter taking over for Trace McSorley about midway through uh, the season. So those are really the, the three prime candidates at quarterback um, in the conference. And then, you know, you have so much talent at wide receiver, but I, I'm getting off track. If they're top 10 talent wise, we started with Ohio state. There's one obvious guy we didn't talk about, and that's Pat Freemuth, the Penn state tight end. Um, I think had he declared last year, he's yeah, easily the top tight end taken in the draft. I think he's a first round talent. Um, his receiving ability really has me intrigued. I'm, um, I'm a very harsh grader when it comes to, uh, blocking with tight ends. I think guys always get passes and then you see them in the NFL. And when you give them passes, they really get exploited if they're not truly good, great blockers. Uh, but he's got some upside. Um, I think he's got the, the potential to be an inline guy as well. And he's got all the skills. Penn State, Ohio State is definitely the headliner from a draft perspective. And Michigan actually probably has more prospects than Penn State does. But Penn State's the other big, like, natty contender in the Big Ten that I'm really happy we're getting back. And Freemith is a huge part of that. He is. That running game there is so exciting. And, and the, just the combination of having those be your star guys, like a, a big tight end and – a big linebacker in Micah Parsons. That's yeah. just, I don't know. Thinking about the big 10 coming back just gets me kind of like excited about that exact kind of football. Um, yeah. I, th- I really do think that Penn state has a chance to do something this year. Heck yeah, brother. And I think, did you mention Wyatt Davis when we were talking Ohio state, Jake? We, we did not. I know uh, um, he's the tackle, right? He's the guard. Yeah, he's the guard. They have a tackle too, though, don't they? (laughs) Yes, they do. Yeah, they're insane. Unbelievable. They're loaded, dude. This this is probably just 
on on paper the most talented Ohio State team of the last yeah. four or five years, which is a, a, frankly absurd to say. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. And a guy I really like from a Broncos perspective and will have my eye on closely is Jalen Mayfield. He was the right tackle for Michigan last year, getting Jedrick Wills comps, which I might as well get it out there. I wasn't always the biggest Jedrick Wills fan. I did have a slap a first-round grade on him, but I was very skeptical about his transition to left tackle, very skeptical about his fit in a zone-blocking scheme, which is what Cleveland runs. I killed that pick two games in. Cleveland's kind of a mess but their first-round starter at left tackle, Alabama's former right tackle, Jedrick Wills, has played very well. So credit to him. Um, wanted to throw that out, out there. Jalen Mayfield has that same kind of nastiness as a right tackle for Michigan. Last year, he was playing on a line where all the, the other four starters on the line have graduated and gone to the NFL. He's the one guy remaining. I imagine he'll make the transition to the left side. I'm really excited to watch this guy. Yeah, Michigan's got a couple guys as well. Um, you know, you got Quiddy Pay and Aiden Hutchinson on the edge as well. Oh my god. Um, Aiden Hutchinson's a beast. Yeah. Aiden Hutchinson's in my top ten. So I should have mentioned him as another potential. He reminds me of the Bosas, man. He reminds me mm-hmm. of Joey. It's crazy. Yeah. I can't believe it. Yeah, he's kind of the more prototypical guy. Uh Pay, he's you know, kind of he's gotten playing time over the past few years, but Michigan's been kind of stacked at edge too. Um, over the past couple seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned Ambry Thomas on the last show, the cornerback of Michigan, someone I'm excited to watch. And then uh, someone you mentioned too, Andre, Nico Collins, the wide receiver at Michigan. Um, did, they didn't really get a chance under Shea Patterson. He kind of flashed every now and then. Um, and then now Dylan McCaffrey actually transferring out of Michigan. So mm-hmm. it seems like it's uh, Joe Milton's show there at quarterback. So hopefully Nico Collins can uh, you know, build some chemistry and make some plays early there. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I think Nico Collins has as much raw talent as anyone in the country. Um, shoot, that was kind of true about Donovan Peoples-Jones a year ago too, you know. Yeah. Uh, but Collins is a beast. If they can ever figure out that passing attack at Michigan, watch out. Because he's whew, he's got tons of talent. And uh, I guess we haven't mentioned Ronald Moore yet, but one of the best performers in the country at wide receiver for the last two years, Ronald Moore is an absolute star, the wide receiver at Purdue. Yeah. One of the, one of my favorite prospects in the entire draft class, Rondale Moore, he's, he's unbelievable, man. Just uh, kind of got like a running back build for a lower body, but just plays so quick and twitchy as wide receiver. He's just super interesting. For sure. Yeah. You know, and again, just, Going back to that Penn State team that I was so excited to see, and now we finally get a chance. Um, that's some good stuff about the Big Ten, but we should probably uh, talk about the football that we uh, have already seen, uh, and we're going to do that after we talk quickly about uh, Breckenridge Brewery. Breckenridge is uh, the official beer of DNVR, and if you're not drinking it yet, then you are making a mistake. Uh, it is the best beer out there. And again, it's Colorado made. They're, they're Colorado sports fans there. And remember, supporting our partners is supporting us. They have so many beers worth trying. They just released the Broncos Country Hoppy Pale Ale, which is um, a great beer I've heard. I still haven't had a chance to try it myself. They also have the Nitro Pumpkin Spice Latte and the Avalanche and the Strawberry Sky. Uh, there are so many good beers. Um, And you can try any of them if you go to the Breckenridge Beer Locator on the Breckenridge Brewery website. Um, It'll tell you where you can pick up whatever beer it is you want to try. Most of the grocery stores and liquor stores and gas stations around here are going to have Breckenridge beers. Um, But if you want to make sure you're getting the one that you want to try, or if you're out of state and maybe you can't find Breckenridge beers just everywhere, then get on that Breckenridge Beer Locator. All right. Um, Let's jump into last week's games. Um, There were some fun ones. It kind of – this was the first weekend to me where it really did feel like college football was bad. Yes. Like sitting down, looking through all those games, and then just like flipping channels. Yeah. It's it's just so nice to have football. It's just so (laughs) nice to have football back. Um, Flipping channels on a Saturday from one game to another is absolute best. 
It's what life is all about, frankly. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but, but it's true. Um, yeah, no, that, that was a nice week. It kind of felt, it was like our, our new week zero, you know, yeah. we're, we're slowly but surely getting there. And this feels like maybe our, our real week one where we have our first, uh, ranked matchup, which I guess I keep teasing cause I'm so excited about that. But, um, <laughs> why don't you start us off, Jake, who stood out to you this week, man? Sure. Um, well, I'm going to talk about uh, the Florida State guys. Um, you know, that game, Florida State-Georgia Tech, uh, actually pretty interesting. Um, I actually misspoke on the last pod saying Georgia Tech was a triple option team. I guess I haven't been paying attention over the past yeah. year because now they are a spread team. Mm-hmm. Um, Things which have was fun changed. To, yeah, it was fun to watch, though. Uh, the quarterback was a young guy. I thought he was someone that kind of popped a bit. But um, on the prospect side in Florida State, Marvin Wilson um, – he really flashed at times, uh, blocked two field goals. Uh, I think he also contributed to the extra point miss too. And then if you watch the last field goal, uh, that Georgia tech was kicking, he was inches away from blocking that one too. So just unbelievable. Um, he had, he was creating some pressure. Um, he actually played a bit on the edge too, which I thought was interesting. So kind of flashed some versatility. Um, Against the run, though, I wasn't as impressed with him. Uh, I would like to see a bit more stoutness. He was kind of getting pushed around by that Georgia Tech offensive line. Um, but he also had a, uh, a big play with uh, eight minutes left in the second quarter. He swims, he swim past the guard. Um, the running back was just completely uninterested in picking up Marvin Wilson. And he gets a hit on the quarterback, uh, which actually leads to my next prospect. Uh, that hit led to an Asante Samuel Jr. interception, who had two interceptions mm-hmm. and two pass defenses for the weekend. So uh, those two guys on defense, they showed up, they were ready to play. Um, my guy on offense Tamarion Taylor, he really struggled, but I think that was more a product of uh, James Blackman, just not really being a good quarterback and the offensive line at Florida state, not really being good uh, either. He did go for six receptions, 52 yards, um, but not very much going on there on the offensive side for Florida state. Yeah. Yeah. Low scoring yeah. game there. I think, uh, wow. Uh, the, the game that I probably watched the most of, you know, because you are spending so much time flipping around, was that Louisiana Iowa State game, mm. um, which was a lot of fun. Louisiana upset number 23, uh, Iowa State 31 14. Um, and I think the story here is Brock Purdy. Yeah. Um, he struggled. He really struggled in that one. It was ugly. Very ugly. (laughs) Which is too bad because he was one of the guys who I was really excited to watch. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. you brought up – there's always, like, quarterbacks who make this climb in their last year. You know, Joe Burrow being a very obvious example. And I thought that Brock Purdy was going to be ready to get out there and beat down a team that he should beat. Um, And that is not at all what happened. 16 to 35, 145 yards. That's about 4.1 yards per attempt, no touchdowns, an interception. It was just an ugly day. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing uh, that you mentioned, Hank. I mean, they're playing Louisiana. If this, if Purdy's going to be taken as a serious prospect, he's got to go out there and he's got to basically beat them down, which they did the exact opposite of, so pretty concerning. Yep. Dre, what did you yeah. see? Yeah, no, I mean, Brock Purdy, very disappointing. Crazy that Iowa State, Iowa State would get upset like that. I saw two linebackers that I really liked. I uh, finally got in on our last episode to preview the Notre Dame uh, game, and I could have done better. I could have mentioned Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, who was an absolute monster, against Duke, uh, went off for nine tackles, had a sack, forced a fumble. He was just everywhere. This guy's listed as 6'1", 215. So the modern hybrid mobile linebacker, but he's everywhere. And you know, when when those smaller guys are everywhere and they're making those plays on the ball around the line of scrimmage, they're getting forced fumbles, they're getting sacks. You know, that's, uh, that's my kind of guy right there. So um, he was extremely impressive. And staying in the um, ACC linebackers, 
in a game where I was wrong uh, in picking Syracuse to cover the spread uh, because it turns out UNC is for real with Sam Howell at quarterback. They stomped him, and the star on defense was Chaz Surratt, uh, the linebacker for the Tar Heels, who he himself had an absurd game, nine tackles, two sacks, flew around, had a scary moment where he, he's flying around a little pass over the middle, tackles the um, makes a hit to where the completion isn't made but then falls to the ground luckily wasn't hurt um didn't seem to be anything too serious but anyway he's a he's a baller and the the captain of that defense and they've got star sophomore quarterback um as the captain of the offense look out for unc but those two linebackers really stood out for me over the weekend yeah uh, Jeremiah Wusu, that, that guy, he, uh, he was one of the guys who I had in my notes before. And, and we were talking about last week. He's the one who, uh, I can't remember where it was, but somebody in the first line of the scouting report on him, um, while I was just studying up, had written, uh, reminds me of Davion Taylor. Mm, and, right, right, right. You yep, did mention yep. that. Yep. Yeah. It's not I, a bad I, I comp. Like and it's, it's one of those things that, like you said, 215, can you play linebacker at 215 pounds in the NFL, or do you put weight on? And if you put weight on, do you lose that explosion? But he, he looks like a monster. Yeah, and he's fine downhill. He's probably more advanced than Davion was at the same yeah. stages in their career. So that's encouraging. And it was, I guess it was nice seeing some of the guys from Clemson doing their thing, you know. At the end, Trevor Lawrence, not much has changed there. Nope. Yeah. Yeah, they handled business as expected. Um, did you guys watch the – who did they play? Uh, the Arkansas State-Kansas State game? Oh, no. I watched just a little of that K-State, but um, I did want to watch a little more Arkansas State and never got around to it. So Jonathan Adams, the wide receiver for Arkansas State, uh, he put up eight receptions, 98 yards, and three touchdowns, including the game-winning touchdown um, to, I guess, upset Kansas State. Right. Um, but he's a big-bodied guy. Uh, he made a spectacular one-handed grab in the first quarter. That uh, he was, It was called incomplete, but it was just an incredibly athletic play. Um, and the, I think the most impressive part of this was Arkansas State used two quarterbacks, and Jonathan Adams was able to produce when either of them were on the field. Um, so he's someone that I've kind of added to my list now after uh, this weekend. And then I've also got another guy um, kind of leads into a matchup for this week. Uh, Syracuse's safety, Andre Cisco. Yes. Uh, he had a beautiful mm-hmm. interception over the middle of the field, just read it perfectly. Um, it was actually his 13th career interception leads all active CFB players. Now. Uh, I mean, this is a guy yeah. who started 11 games as a freshman had seven INTs that year. Um you know, Syracuse is playing Pitt. Uh, I thought this quote from uh, Pitt coach Pat Narduzzi was great um, on Andre Sisco. He said he's kind of like Paris Ford, who is the safety at Pitt, uh, pretty similar. He finds the ball, got great eyes. He'll play all over the place. He'll have a, gr- a good beat on what we do. We'll have to change up what we do, try to stay away from him. He's just a great football player. So two safeties there to look out for this weekend, Andre Sisco, Syracuse, and then Paris Ford for Pitt. Love that. And if Pat Narduzzi is saying stuff like that about you, uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that means something. That dude knows his defenses for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like, that. I like that you mentioned the Arkansas State wide receiver. That's a guy I want to check out some more of. The Sun Belt, man. The, eh, there's, some, there's some talent out there. Yeah. Hey, they perform better than the Big 12 overall this weekend. So I mean, they <laughs> turns out some belt is better than the Kansas Power 5 teams because Kansas yeah. got whooped as well. Um, <laughs> and I know Ryan was telling me about one of their pass rushers. They kind of dominated. I mean, this is a team that got five sacks and 12 tackles for a loss wow. on, uh, on Kansas, so not great. But uh, Jeffrey Gunter was the guy that really stood out. He's 6'4", 260, junior. Okay. So keep his name in mind. All right. Um, yeah, should I we think get we, to this Miami game, man? I think we have to because uh, that's two of the uh, – several standouts played for Miami and played for yeah. Louisville um, this week, and I was just waiting to preview this game because you kind of got to the other one, the pit. 
the Pitt Syracuse is really the other big one. But yeah, Miami Louisville is pretty, pretty exciting. Who wants to start us off? Hank, you got anything? We might have um, lost Hank with his new device. Is he? I'll start off then. Yeah. Um, okay. What did you, okay. I mostly I want to start off with a question. What did you think of Derek King, uh, the transfer um, from Houston that is now the quarterback of Miami? Not bad. Not bad. I thought I'd be much more down on him. I thought I'd be much more disappointed. Um, selfishly, as a draft Nick, to me, what really matters about Derek King is that he gets the ball in Brevin Jordan's hands. Yep. Um, probably the brightest offensive talent, at least on my board as it stands now in this game, is the move tight end for the Hurricanes. And things started to click for, for that combination. King to Jordan in the third quarter. Uh, they got him on the move, and he was able to be accurate. And honestly, I wasn't super high on King coming into the year. But that UAB game, which seemed like an easy win, probably isn't so easy if they have the same cruddy quarterbacks that the Hurricanes have had the last few years. Because that O-line was pretty leaky, and he was able yeah. to overcome that. And that's what they need, man. That's what they need. Yeah, I thought that was yeah, the most it, impressive part of his game was his uh, pocket presence and mobility. Just He was easily able to extend plays and just kind of really put the team on his back in some regard. Yeah, I, I think that it's also worth noting how much change this Miami team is going through. Because, you know, not having – DJ Dallas and not having so many other pieces. I think they have like five guys who could be, or, or maybe five guys who opted out to go to the draft. So with all that going on, you really do need guys like Derek King to step up. And I don't know. I, I think he has more. I, I think that he can show quite a bit more and to be uh, somebody who I would be excited to draft He's going to have to show more as a passer, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. missing some open receivers, just some little things that could be cleaned up. And if he does that, though, I mean, he has incredible talent. And I think that's what makes this Miami team so fun to watch week in and week out is that you get to watch him. And then there are some other guys there who you like to see. But to me, this is the Derek King show um, based on his current construction of the roster. Yeah, definitely. And then also the running back, Cameron Harris, I thought was mm -hmm. really impressive yeah. uh, last week. I thought he showed some great vision, uh, patience behind the line and contact balance, as, uh, as well as breaking tackles downfield. I mean, he put up 17 carries, 134 yards and two touchdowns. Mm -hmm. I know it's UAB, so you know we're not going to probably hold this matchup uh, in great regard once the season's all wrapped up and we all have, we have a season to look back upon. But it, he was quite impressive. I also liked what you said about Brevin Jordan, Andre. He was, for his size and that athleticism, it's pretty fun to watch him play. Um, and, yeah, like you said, if King can just get him the ball, that offense will be pretty much okay. Right, exactly. Yeah, Brevin Jordan kind of, um, you know, since Hank has been on the show, he his origin story is week zero last year while we're focused in on – Florida, Miami to see what CJ Henderson's going to do and all these other dudes. Uh, Brevin Jordan really took over. He was just like a true sophomore at the time. Um, and he had a nice week again against UAB, just three catches, just 51 yards, but they all really mattered. Um, and he's that classic move tight end. He can play H back. You can flex him out in the slot probably a little more blocking potential than like an Evan Ingram um, which is funny, those those issues are starting to pop up with the umpteenth yeah. coordinator he's dealing with. But Jordan is kind of the forgotten man in this stellar tight end class with Pat Freemuth and then the um, Florida tight end, uh, Kylie Pitts. But do not sleep on Brevin Jordan. This guy's really something else. And, I mean, as we know, Miami tight ends. Uh, yeah, It's a storied history right there. Yep. But what's got me more excited is the other side of the ball for Louisville. Yeah, uh, yeah, me too. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. I mean, where do you even start with? Because coming into the year, it's all about Tutu Atwell, the 5'9", 160-pound speedster wide receiver who I'm really excited to watch against Miami. Mm -hmm. um, everyone loves this uh, 
Javion Hawkins, the running back for Louisville, who's just a sophomore, but he's a really interesting guy. Got some real wheels on him. But, man, they've, they're doing it again with Malik Cunningham, their junior quarterback. The Lamar Jackson comps will be there. Um, yeah. They're both quick, twitchy, skinny-legged black quarterbacks who play for mm-hmm. Louisville. Um, so you see some similarities there. Uh, obviously, the Lamar Jackson comparison. I mean, any Louisville quarterback from now until the rest of the time, that's the standard you're held out. It's super unfair. Sorry, deal with it. I've also I've been on record multiple times saying Lamar Jackson is uh, the best, the most dynamic runner ball in his hands that I've ever studied on tape, um, which is insane to say about a quarterback, but it just goes to show you what an outlier Lamar Jackson is. Malik Cunningham isn't that because no one is that. Um, but Cunningham moves really well. Pocket presence is real nice. And he was slinging it against Western Kentucky. This guy has a deep ball, and he just refines a few things. He could be one of those dark horse quarterbacks that really do wonders for their stock in this one season. Yeah, and yeah. he had two receivers finish with four catches for 110 yards, one with a long of 63, one with a long of 70. And I think that's what makes it so fun is that even though maybe not the most efficient day passing um, for Malik Cunningham, it's – his ability to throw the ball down the field and then still like run the ball up close. And and that's almost like the supplement to the short passing game is his running ability to to kind of like pull the defense in so many different directions by sending those guys down the sidelines. I, I am also really excited to watch him. Um, It's obviously too early to get like too, too deep into the hype train, but uh, he's, he's an electric quarterback and that's what college football, I think, is about. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Um, I just want to add that the 70-yard touchdown to Des Fitzpatrick, I mean, there are some – Malik Cunningham can really improve as a passer. Um, just decision-making. Uh, the ball does fly out of his hand, though. It was pretty impressive to mm-hmm. see that. Um, but the 70-yard pass to Des, Fitzpat- Des Fitzpatrick, if they're playing a better football team with – a better safety, that ball is 100% picked off. And he's really lucky that didn't happen. I mean, just so happened to be a 70-yard touchdown. But, um, you know, it wasn't a clean day. But like you said, Andre, he's, the Lamar Jackson comparisons are going to be natural just because he really kind of mm-hmm. looks like him. Um, you know, he's a bit smaller. He's 6'1", 200 pounds. But he's a true right. dual-threat quarterback. Yeah. Um, and he's someone that really is going to make an impact on this game this weekend. He's so twitched up. Like on top, the, the deep ball is what I like the most and the live arm, but he is so twitched up. Um, even though, you know, he's, he's only ran for like the last two years, he's running like 300 yards a season, you know, nothing insane. Um, but he real like his escapability um, and he's got those live hips, which I'm starting to learn that having those kind of explosive hips don't just make you dynamic and missing tackles and juking and start and stopping speed. I think they also allow you to generate power through your hips with your arm and your throwing motion a lot faster. That explosiveness translates, that lower body explosiveness translates in being able to generate um, power with less like wind up, you know? Uh, So that's, what's got me intrigued. He's got to sharpen up the, the ball placement, but he, he's getting it out. He's leading wide receivers. Sometimes he's leading them too much and like right into an interception. Um, but, but, but there's something to work with there. I'm, I'm kind of excited for him. He's, uh, as Hank was saying, too early, uh, but, but, but we're going on record so that people know that in September 18th, we, we started to hype up Malik Cunningham. The, this podcast has done things like that before. Austin Jackson, you know, got early hype like this mm-hmm. um, and then became a first-rounder when no one else was. I, I did the same thing with Kyler years ago. You know, these are lofty mm-hmm. comps, but it's happened before <laughs> on, the, on the show. So just throwing that out there. Um, and, yeah, I really want to see what Tutu Atwell can do. You know, against UAB, they didn't necessarily need him, but he's one of these smaller speedster wide receivers that are very in vogue in the NFL. Um, 
And yeah, I want to check them out. I also thought their tight end was intriguing. Hmm. Yeah, some interesting skill players for sure. Um, one matchup in this game, uh, including Malik Cunningham, I'm excited about. Uh, someone you mentioned last week, Andre, uh, Quincy Roche, the edge for Miami. Yes. Um, he's a temp, uh, transfer from Temple, mm-hmm. uh, grad transfer, and I thought he showed real good first step, bend and speed uh, oh, as yeah. well, just overall athleticism last week. So I think that's going to be a real test for him going up against Malik Cunningham. Uh, it's going to test his discipline. Yeah. If he's able to contain him. Uh, it's also going to test his athleticism because he's probably going to be in situations where he's going to have to chase down Cunningham at some point. So that's a real good matchup, I think. Um, you know, finally, I guess, a, a prospect matchup that we have to look forward to and just kind of watch it all play out in front of us. Yeah, truly. Um, Rocher's an interesting one. They've got him playing hand in the ground as a true, like, 4-3-D end. Uh, he's probably more of a stand-up edge. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he, that guy can bend it. Hey, I swear mm-hmm. he's playing at, like, a 90-degree angle most of that game. Uh, he's yeah. just bending the edge uh, he's gonna win that leverage battle there was a touchdown down on the goal line where he just got bowled over by the uab guy so that that's what worries you but again we're gonna give him a little bit of a pass because he's playing somewhat out of position there and uh, louisville has three linebackers that are that are all prospects and can do their thing and that's going to be really interesting to see how they can match up a in cover- coverage against brevin jordan be in stopping Derek King and those option runs, and then uh, C in stopping the running game from the the running back you were mentioning. Uh, yeah, Cameron so. Harris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So this is yeah, you're right. This this finally gets me really excited going into uh, Saturday for some games right here. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun, especially with these two quarterbacks going back and forth. Um, I don't know. Uh, want to make want to make some picks on this one? We made some picks last year, and that was yes, fun. Yes, sure. uh, Who wants to lead it off? Are we doing uh, Miami Louisville? Mm-hmm. Yep. Louisville's so, slight favorite. What, what's the line? Uh, there are two and a, the spread set at two and a, them Louisville by two and a half, and it is at Louisville. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's probably where I'm going to head to is mm-hmm. Louisville. I think they have the better quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think Miami has the better team overall, uh, more talented team, but I'm really looking to see if Malik Cunningham can step up to the plate and really just kind of carry his team pretty honestly, pretty much like Lamar Jackson used to. I mean, you know, we're talking about, uh, an NFL MVP and a Heisman trophy winner. I'm not expecting him to just light it up, but I'm expecting him to kind of show, uh, why he's was chosen as the guy to lead this football team this year. Yeah, absolutely. I think their O-line might sneakily be better as well, and I believe in their offensive talent more, so that's why I'm going with Louisville too. Uh, yeah, and we'll see. Miami and, uh, you know, Diaz's defense and everything they're trying to build over there with the Canes is really going to get tested. Yeah, and I'm going to go with Louisville, too. Um, It's a tough call, but when I look at these two offenses, Louisville's is just so dynamic and and so tough to stop. Whereas, like I was saying, I want to see Derek King throw the ball better. Then that's going to be the reason that I don't pick him in this game. But if he goes out there and tears it up throwing the ball, I think they have a really good chance of winning. And at that point, my picks for next week will probably be very different. But I, I just need to see a little bit more out of him before I can take them over Louisville. Like um, okay. What other games should we get into here? Um, let's see. I'm trying to get back to this page. Yeah, there's the, the one that Jake mentioned already, Pitt-Syracuse, where we're watching those mm-hmm. two safeties, Andre Sisko against uh, Pat Ford, was it? Paris Ford. Paris Ford. And, um, man, I don't know what's happening to the Qs, but they are, once again, minus 21 and a half uh, point underdogs. Uh, who'd they play last week? Oh, yeah, UNC covered the yeah. spread against them last week, which was disappointing for me. I think Pittsburgh doesn't dominate them like, like the way uh, UNC did. As I said, I think UNC has more talent than I gave them credit for. Uh but still, I think Pittsburgh wins this pretty comfortably, if not by 21 and a half. 
Yeah, but I mean, it is worth noting. Last week, Syracuse at, at halftime against UNC, number 18 UNC, uh, it was a 7-3 game. North Carolina didn't get up by double digits until, what, two minutes left in the third quarter. And so I think that, like, things spiraled once Syracuse lost that game, but they really didn't look quite that bad for the duration. Yeah. Um, the thing with Syracuse, though, is Tommy DeVito, their quarterback, you know, he was their most highly touted recruit in a long time uh, to come through there, and he had a very bad day. He was 13 of 31, uh, 112 yards, 41.9% completion percentage. That is just abysmal. If he plays like that again, I don't think – I mean, it's probably not going to be close. Um, I think Pitt is – you know, Pitt's one of those just like frisky teams, you know what I mean? They're always going to be kind of playing up or down to their competition. I do expect this game to be a bit closer maybe than yeah. the UNC game was. But I don't see how – unless DeVito just has, you know, a complete flip of in his play and just plays out of his mind, I don't really see Syracuse winning this game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm with you. Um, not a game I would pick, but Duke Boston College. Look out for Zion Johnson. The uh, he he was a left guard. He's being moved to left tackle. Big seventy seven on the Boston College line, coached by uh, Steve Adazio. Um, obviously, they've pumped out a lot of quality offensive linemen. Uh, so Johnson's definitely an intriguing prospect in the trenches to keep an eye on there. Love it. Um, right. Let's see. Well, I got a game if you guys want me to throw it out. Yeah, lay it on us. Okay. Um, I think an interesting game at one thirty is going to be UCF and Georgia Tech. Um, you know, UCF, they've been one of – they've kind of cemented themselves now as a top – perennial top 25 team or at least someone that hangs around there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to have talent. And then Georgia Tech, I'm telling you that the quarterback, um, I wish I had his name down. I think he's a younger guy, though. He's either a freshman or sophomore, but I thought he was impressive um, watching him last week. You know, he made some plays on the move, um, and he really had some burst to his game and uh, made some good decisions throwing the ball. Um, yeah, Jeff you could Sims, tell he, freshman. Yeah, Jeff mm-hmm. Sims. You could tell he was a younger player, though, throwing the ball. He, did, he wasn't always on target. He did make some mistakes. Um, but I think this game could be sneaky good. Like yeah, I, I think that's a good call. Um, uh, for the reason that you outlined. And it isn't just that Sims kind of like looked the part back there, but in college football, again, I've come back to this a bit, like quarterbacks just kind of have to put the team on the back. And, and he was running the ball. He had over 60 running yards on top of throwing. Like that's what you need, I think. And I think that that will be a fun one to watch for sure. It will be nice to see UCF again because they have been one of those teams that's been – consistently productive at this level and churning out talent, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep leaving this page whenever we talk about something. Now I got to go back. Um, what else do I like? How about, uh, oh, the App State Marshall game. You know, maybe not super heavy on um, draft talent, but um, a couple of, I don't know, uh, not storied FBS programs, that's for sure. But it should be a pretty tight game with App State coming in, like, ranked number 23. I think the spread is set at uh, – da, da, da. oh, App State is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Yep. Um, you, guys have, you guys have any thoughts there? Um, I wish I did, but I yeah. am ashamed to say I do not. <laughs> yeah, App State's just been one of those programs where, you know, they've been churning out quality coaches and especially on defense, uh, been a really solid program. So I'm not keyed into any prospects necessarily. I'm surprised that Marshall isn't a bigger dog, though, with uh, App State ranked and everything. I guess Marshall did just blow out Eastern Kentucky 59 a zip, but that's uh, that's not saying much right there. So I would think just by eye that I would like App State there. Um, And I'm sure they've got some prospects I need to start digging in on. What's interesting is UCF, it seems like for once, the prospects aren't so much at the skill positions. They're in the trenches on offense and on defense. So that's where uh, I'll be excited to be watching a little more of UCF as well. 
And you know, Henry, we're right up on it where, where our guys got to leave. So if we don't find any more games, I think it's okay to yeah. close her out here. I think that that probably is it for games. But next week we'll have the SEC back. Uh, we're, what, four or five weeks away from Big Ten. Beautiful. Add one to that probably for the Pac-12. Slate is becoming more and more full with each passing week, and I couldn't be more excited. Uh, before we get out of here, any parting thoughts that you guys have? The beauty is next week I can preview Kentucky so I can go in, dig in on all the prospects that Kentucky DFA has told me to watch. The other beauty is that with the SEC back and like half of the top 25 being just SEC schools, we're going to get nothing but top 25 matchups next week. So it's going to be a joyous time, Henry. That will be incredible. Yeah, um, just looking at the schedule next week, I'm already excited. I mean, we're going up about maybe 10, 15 games, so we're probably going to hang around 30, 45-ish games. Um, and, yeah, just looking at some of these matchups, it's finally time, boys. It's finally yeah, time. Yeah, it's going to be finally time. next week. Yep, yep. Finally time. Oh, um, the closing note, and he's not necessarily a prospect yet because he's still so young. But uh, Spencer Rattler, man, dude, dude, the quarterback for Oklahoma. First time in a while where it's not a transfer quarterback; it's just a highly touted recruit and a guy who came off terribly in the QB one series, where it's like seasons cut short for some stuff they were kind of like shoving under the the table or what have you. But he looked great. That's a live arm. So between yeah. Sam Howell and uh, this kid, we've we've got some quarterbacks for the future. Yeah, All right. Oklahoma machine. Yep. Truly, truly. That's going to do it for today. But before we get out of here, I do want to say a quick word about Strava Craft Coffee. Haven't tried Strava yet? Well, we are selling Strava cold brew at the DMVR bar. So come check it out. Uh, you can also subscribe to Strava Craft Coffee and save 20% with your subscription. We know a bunch of you have taken advantage of the one-time code, uh, which is DNVR20, by the way, um, which gets you 20% off. But now you can get 20% off of your favorite coffee forever. You'll never have to put your credit card info in again. I remember supporting our partners is supporting us. If you've never tried the rich CBD-infused Strava Craft Coffee, you can use code DNVR20 and save 20% off your first order but as i was saying if you're a huge fan you can now save 20 percent by heading to their website and subscribing you have the option of getting your coffee every two three four six or eight weeks 20 percent off any product you're subscribing to if you decide to pull the trigger tag strava and uh tag us as well and let us know that you are uh, supporting our partners because we love to see that and again if you're only making one order you can use the code dmvr20 to get 20 percent off your purchase online at stravacraft.com all right that's gonna do it for today uh and we will see you guys again next week thanks guys Sit on the-